to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing good, Jody. How are you? Growly. Growly, I hear that. <laughs> How was your Thanksgiving? Mellow. Mellow? Yes. Good. Mine too. Just Did you eat too much? Oh, no. No? No. That's not what we're talking about today, though, but I'm glad you had a good mellow one. Talking we're talking about, about cooking electric guitars. Yes, recording electric guitars. And this is a revisit of sorts because we dabbled with this in other episodes, but we're both guitar players, so we thought this warrants another episode. So Why not? What are we kicking it off with then? Well, let's kick off with the signal source. Choosing the appropriate guitar first, depending on the tone that we want. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, this choice might be made for us because we might not have more than one guitar. Then you make do with what you have. But, That's right. But if we have different choices, obviously, this is the first thing that we want to do before we consider amps or anything like that. So, What constitutes different choices, sir? Well, I look at this in three different categories. Okay. The way I tend to think about this. And relatively simplistic. I think of it as a humbuck equipped guitar, single coil equipped guitar, or an esoteric choice, which is something that doesn't fit into those two categories type of thing. Uh -huh. To me, that still gives you a lot of flexibility. And if you have a Les Paul type of a thing or a PRS or whatever, right, a humbuck equipped guitar, awesome. And you might have a Strat. Of course, there's a lot of room in there for like tellies and things and that telly does a lot of things really well. Sure. Right? Those are the choices that I'm looking at. Now, I actually have neither one of those <laughs> uh, because I do most of my heavy lifting with my Ernie Ball Luke uh -huh. model, which has a humbucker sim or single single. But that's kind of a Fender Strat style-ish guitar, isn't it? Sort of, but it still has the, the humbucker in the bridge, mm -hmm. right? So I can get that sort of chunky, Les Paul-y type of a sound. I also have another custom guitar from a Swedish builder called Arne Arvidsson, who's no longer with us. My first sort of like port of call, well, what, what are we going for here? And then choose your guitar accordingly. I think um, it's it, very interesting you're not mentioning anything about the wood. In and of itself, that the guitar is no, made of. because You're I like think strictly about the pickup. Yeah, because you could probably measure and figure out how much the wood changes the tone and stuff. But when you come down to recording it, I think the differences are so minute that it really doesn't matter mm -hmm. to me. I was like, no, you know what? We should probably try this on a strat that has a rosewood neck instead. <laughs> I, it's okay. Well, then move your EQ up. Point 0.1 of a decibel, whatever. I, I don't think the wood is that big a deal to me. What about you, though? I mean, are you that nutty with it? Because you're a nutty kind of guy. I am a nutty kind of guy. That. And every one of my guitars is made from a different wood for a very specific reason when they were made. And I do have a bit of a belief that it's the entire package. It's not just the pickup. It's not just the wood. It's not just the strings. It's not just the fret wire. It's the whole shebang. And it also changes tone based on the bridge makeup, the nut makeup, even the tuners, machine heads get into play on this to me. 
Yeah, I'm going to leave you alone on that because I'm like, nah, that's, <laughs> I think that's all psychosomatic to me. I'm like, yeah, I don't think. Especially if you're mm. dealing with clean tones and you're not throwing a ton of effects on everything, they do make a difference. Now, is it going to change whether or not a song is going to be a hit or not? No. <laughs> it's not going to change that. But it does change the characteristic of how the guitar plays, how it sounds before it hits the amp. All of that stuff does make some element of difference. Whether it makes a big difference to the end user is well, something else. I mean, I, I'm willing to go as far as the quality of the wood would make a good sounding instrument, as opposed to if you have something that's made out of particle board. It's probably not going to have the same sound. Well, it won't have the same resonance, I bet. Right. But then again, as soon as you start amplifying something through a pickup, I question how much it really matters. Now, I'm not advocating going and buying the cheapest POS guitar that you could find just for that. <laughs> sure <you are. laughs> but <I've done> um, <laughs> I, I think it's something that guitar players worry about and are neurotic about. But I think just the way that the guitar plays, the way the pickups are, are of much bigger importance to me than if it has a rosewood or maple neck or if it's mahogany or alder body. Does the whole package make a difference? Yeah, a tiny one, but it's more to me like how you're playing and how comfortable you are. Sure. There, I said it. <laughs> What's your go-to guitar when you record these days? That's a silly question in a sense. And the reason why I say that is I have a lot of choices. Yeah. And I do think about the way I'm going to arrange guitar parts. Mm. And depending on the style of the song that I am recording or writing, I will choose a different guitar based on what is needed for the arranged part, generally speaking. Now, mind you, you can see what is sitting the closest to me. Yes. <laughs> that is a prototype guitar called a Diner series by Joe's Guitars out of Salt Lake City. And sadly, that guitar has been on more records than I have. And I'm the sole owner of that thing. Actually, <laughs> quite a few of my guitars have been on more records than me because people borrow my guitars due to the fact they like the way they play. So I do something right with the setup and the different makeups of all the guitars that I have. Right. And ju just for, obviously, because we're not, videoing this podcast there that is a single humbucker guitar in the bridge it is position. at the bridge pickup yeah, position right. it almost is like a telly type of body kind of thing and solid tailpiece mean potatoes guitar damn right with a single volume knob nothing else to get in the way right fair enough i already told you what i tend to use most of the time which i've had since the early 90s the dawn of time yeah, exactly. But I love that guitar, and it has a lot of miles on it. I've awesome. Changed the frets. All right. So once, switching gears here off of the actual choice of the guitar that you're planning on using when you're recording right. electric parts. What's up next? Now we have to decide whether we're actually miking a physical amp, or if we're going the software route and using amp sims. Boy, I figured you'd go with something like, "Hey, let's go really knee deep into the esoteric nature of cables." <laughs> uh, let's skip that discussion let's skip altogether because it's kind of silly it, it is silly yeah do we have an amp that we really really like the sound of and i would say more importantly depending on where we're recording if you're recording in your bedroom studio 
maybe it's not a good idea to to crank that Marshall to get the sound that you want. Why uh, not? It's just not practical. Sure Because it is. if, yeah, I mean, if you live out <laughs> and you don't have neighbors and stuff, knock yourself out, yep. right? But it comes down to one of practicality, I think, as well as- Well, what about getting a power soak? That's another route you could go. Or an ISO box, essentially, that had- a speaker in it and that you had- Stuck a microphone in there and you'd record it and you could turn up right. as loud as you want. It wouldn't be all that loud outside the box. Yes. I don't remember if it was called a Demeter box, but I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. There are other options that you could do. Sure. That's a choice that we have to make. And for those that don't know what a power soak is, what that does is it allows you to reduce the draw on the amp. It changes it the variability with- of, the, of the power that goes to the amp so that you can turn the amp louder- and get more saturation out of it, if you would like, without the volume level. Right. It's the old Van Halen thing, right? That, that's yes. what he used to do. I think you consequently burn up the head because you're feeding it a stronger signal, I believe, or a higher voltage and stuff. So, But that's an option, obviously, if, if we go that route. And if you're at that level where you got all that kind of gear you're probably not wondering how to record electric guitars. So <laughs> there, there is that. You've got somebody else that's doing it for you and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah, so the first question would be there, if we go on the physical route, do we have a good sounding amp here? I would say that if you don't, it's probably better to go, obviously, the software route because you're not going to improve upon the sound if you have like a crappy little speaker that doesn't sound the way that you want it. I'm going to but disagree it, with that statement. You wrote, Okay, go ahead and dis- <laughs> disagree with me. The reason why I say that is I have a PV, Backstage mm-hmm. Plus, practicing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That thing's a piece of junk, in a sense. Not to slag PV, because they do make some good products. And I also have a Fender VibraChamp, both of which I've used on recordings, mainly because they worked for the part that was needed. Are they great sounding amps? by themselves and in and of themselves that you would use on stage? Probably not. But but, but you can make anything work as long as it works for the product that you need. That's what I will go on record of saying. Sure. To me, that's still a good sounding amp that you get the sound that you intend to get out of it, Mm -hmm. that it's a workable tone. If you're struggling to get your amp to sound good and it doesn't give you the sound that you're looking for, then... That's not the amp to use, I think. Of course, if we don't have any amp sims, we only have one amp and we're recording, guess what? That's your amp. That's you, your you amp, baby. W- You're using right. it. Right. Got a decent amp that we could use. Now, of course, it comes down to mic choice here as well for micing this bad boy. Yes. Yeah. What's your go-to? Or actually, how long has it been since you mic'd a cab in a recording situation? Ooh, not actually as long as I would think. It was probably two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. If that. I mic'd it with a GrooveTubes MD1A and Mm -hmm. a Sennheiser M81. The MD1A by GrooveTubes and a Sennheiser M81. That's what I used. Cool. Yeah. For me, I did some recording sessions for a local artist and we ended up miking the amp because... That's what he wanted to do. And he said, no, I, I need my amps. And that's how you record guitars. So you just go, okay, sure, whatever. You go mm-hmm. along with that and whatever makes them comfortable. We mic'd the cab with two different mics. We used a 57, SM57. 
And that's by sure for those that don't know. Yep. And if you only get one mic to record guitars, that's probably the one to get first because you can get one for less than a hundred bucks or probably around a hundred. Right around a hundred dollars if you get yeah. brand new. Right. And we also used for a little bit more experimentation, a second mic, we had 414. Mm -hmm. AKG 414. I think for most of the mixing, I actually ended up using just the 57. But we had it there and just, just to see what we could kind of coax out of it. Sweet. Yeah, I do. Most of my heavy lifting these days are amp sims, just because of the flexibility it gives me. So I, I really, really like that. I'm not going to disagree with that statement. I, I yeah. agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And even if you are miking up a guitar amp, cabinet situation. It's mm. still a good idea to run a DI just Absolutely. for future proofing in case you need to do what? Well, either to use an amp sim or to reamp it. Yes. Right? It, it, to re if key thing if there. the captured sound is not going to end up working in the mix and it's just like, oh, this is wrong. Because if you're recording an amp, of course, what you get is that's what you're stuck with. Yep. If you've over dialed the, the gain or not enough. It's a little bit easier. If you've had too much gain or the tone is just wrong for whatever reason for the track, you got the flexibility with the DI to go a different route. Yes, sir. One thing that you didn't mention by using the two mics, your 57 and your 414. Phasing. Yes, phasing. You have to pay attention to that because it becomes an imprint of the sound if you're going to blend both mics. Yeah. When I do it, I tend to record them on two separate tracks. Well, you, but that's a wise idea. Yeah. Of course, you pay attention to phase and you listen to before you just start going, right? You try to get them to sound right and just check the phase as you're doing it. You generally hear that if you're losing a lot of bottom end. It's just not full body the way you intended it. It's a good chance that your your mics are, are out of phase. Hollowing out of the tone. Indeed. Next thing that we got to consider here, and this is how to position the mics. Do you have like a go-to method that you tend to do? Because I do. Then name it. Okay. So you're staying out of this one. Oh, no, <laughs> I won't stay out of it. I just yeah. know that I don't have a go-to. I've done some really bizarre shit with miking guitars. But we but don't need to go that in depth with for, mine. For, yeah, for like the, the standard guitar thing where I start anyway is with a 57. I mean, there are other mics that I, I like as well. I like a, a Sennheiser 421 as well. But so my method is usually starting with a 57. Mm -hmm. I tend to put it right by the cap edge and the cone. Mm -hmm. That's my starting point. And then I'm adjusting from there. How if far I away? Need more, maybe an inch. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm- You're close. Just, I'm close. Yeah, I'm close. That's where I start. Then if it needs more- low end, I'll go a little bit further out from the center mm -hmm. or maybe just pull it back a little bit. But that's where I start with my miking. Okay. We've talked in the past as well about some esoteric choices. So maybe we'll encourage you to go back and listen to those if talking about the Eric Valentine thing or whatever. Or even my thing. Because <laughs> I'll yeah. do weird shit. <laughs> yeah. That's not necessarily your, your meat and potatoes type of a thing, right? Well, as far as like you meat and potatoes type of tone, I mean, it's not like, oh yeah, I always- It's a good idea to know how up. to get it. And Chris just described it. I'm not one to do it unless it's really needed. I always like to do something slightly off kilter just so that it, the guitar will stand out on its own character, so to speak. Yeah. So like uh, the 
money for nothing thing, you know, that with the dire straits, it's a really sort of, let's use the word esoteric. (laughs) But in that case, it really, really works, right? Yep. When we're doing this, obviously, as we're dialing in the sound, before we even stick a microphone in front of it, is get the amp to sound the way that you want it to do. Now, that sounds obvious, right? But there are a couple of things that I would recommend that we keep in mind, especially metal guitar players like that sort of scooped mid type of sound, mm-hmm. super distorted. They might go for, let's say, like a Metallica Black Album kind of a sound, right? Which is really heavy and chunky and all this kind of stuff. What tends to happen until we get really comfortable with this is that players will really, really scoop out the mids on their amp mm-hmm. because that's what we hear on the albums. So, oh, it's really, really heavy and scooped. That doesn't always work because it tends to disappear in the mix when you do that. There's a way of thinking about this, and and I came across this saying, and it was from actually a Friedman amp sim. He was talking about a plug-in, and I thought it was really, really good. So I just want to say it here as well, where it said that the mid-range, when it's at 12 o'clock straight up, is the sort of neutral sound of the amp of the mid-range. And he describes the sound as, Turning it lower will lower the mid-range of the sound, as you'd expect, right? Mm-hmm. Raising the level of the mid-range will actually allow your audience to hear the guitar in the mix. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, I'm because, laughing for a very specific reason on that. Yeah. You used to give it, me a lot of shit that my guitars were too mid-rangey. Yes, and I still stand by that <laughs> because there is a difference between tone and being present in the mix. Sure. The mid-range, if it's a decent amp, it will have a pleasing mid-range when it just fills out the sound, mm-hmm. right? Bringing it up a little bit. All I'm saying is don't be afraid to have mid-range in your signal because that, that will allow it to be nice and beefy. And the other thing I want to mention, and then I'll shut up for a second, is don't overdo the distortion or the gain of your amp. Because it's really, really easy that it just gets too fuzzed out and you lose definition. Mm, Definition. So, Mm. yeah, so that you can hear all those cool riffs that you're actually playing. So roll off the distortion until it actually gives the sound that you want, but without it getting too fuzzed out. So there, I'll shut up for a second. (laughs) There's nothing to shut up about. One thing you haven't mentioned is whether or not you're using effects before you're recording from the amp itself. Right. And if it's integral to the sound then yes, stick it in there. If it is not, I'd leave it off. I'm with you on that. We've talked about that in the past as well. If it is one of those things that it's a specific kind of tone that is, like you said, integral to the sound of the part that you're playing, then go ahead and print it. The same as with having too much distortion or whatever it is. If you're tracking the signal live and you're getting it just so, come mix time, the reverb is too loud. It gets washed out. There, there's no way of controlling that. You'd have to go back and do the whole reamping thing and all that kind of stuff. Provided so, you got the extra track to do so. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to take a word from our sponsor. And we're back. And just as we were starting to talk about some effects and printing them, there's a kind of unwritten rule to the order that you would normally put them in in your guitar chain isn't there there is the way i tend to approach this and i think this is a healthy way of looking at it is that 
processing that is part of the overall tone, like overdrive, it might be compression, if you're a wah, that type of a thing, that goes in front of the amp. There are other things that I could go both ways on. And this is depending on, again, what you're kind of going for, but things like chorus or phasing or univibe, right, flanging. Mm -hmm. To me, they can go either in front or in the send and effect return. Sure. That leaves, of course, things like delay and reverb, definitely put those in the send or after the preamp stage. Sure. I would agree uh, with those statements. I'm not going to disagree yeah. with those. I, I've known players that like, no, I put my delay in front of the amp and then they go and overdrive the, the delay signal. So, yeah. And it's just sounds awful to me. So <laughs> if you're on the fence about it, I would say put it in the send return and, and you'll probably be happier for it. Sure. So that leads us down to now amp sims. Does it now? It does. All right. And both you and I are big proponents. This is something that you talk about a lot, and that, that's the first point that we have here. So I'm going to let you take that. The input levels, baby. Yes. The average guitar mm -hmm. is going to hit the front end of an amp stage if the input signal is of normal order at about minus 18 dB, which mm -hmm. is why I still hit minus 18 dB on these heavy peaks, because that's what it is. That's how analog systems worked. That's how they are designed to be emulated. You can change that, which is the concept of using an overdrive or compression. Right. But use that as your means. Set your input level accordingly so that your guitar is hitting those things at minus 18 before it hits the amp sim. That's yeah. how I approach it. Yeah. I think the overall thing there is don't clip your input signal. Well, but at right? minus 18, you're nowhere near doing that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not so. But, but even if you don't adhere to that minus 18, right, and you're going hotter, your amp sim is not going to sound as good if you're just, oh, look at that. I can crank my input signal and I get all this glorious digital distortion, <laughs> right? right? Just watch the levels. Make sure that you have plenty of headroom and your amp sim will work a lot better for it. You'll feel the actual vibe of the amp in the room that it's being emulated for, depending on how you do your cabinets, so to speak, in simulation mode. It's a wise yeah. idea not to overdo it. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest benefit? Obviously, this again kind of goes without saying, but using amp sims as a benefit over a physical amp. Cost to joy ratio? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, well, I have a lot of tube heads sitting in my plug-in <laughs> folder here, you know, yeah, that I wouldn't be able to afford. But I was thinking more of the freedom of tone, right? Of there choice, is essentially. There's a yeah. big freedom of choice when it comes to tone and amp sims and the different ways that you can set them up. Much like in the hardware world, you could do the same thing. It's just not nearly as cost effective. Right. If you have top of the line sort of cost, is it going to be a hundred and fifty bucks for an amp sim? You know, if it's mm, an expensive one, I don't know. Yeah. Plugin Alliance has some that go for what three fifty? No, not the not the two ninety nine. Sure, they do. Uh, I think I'm they not do. sure. No, I know UAs I go kind of go that far. I think UAs. Yeah. Go no, I mean, but but anyway, I one of my favorite amp sim developers right now. But you mentioned Plugin Alliance, Neural DSP. Mm -hmm. They're just north of a hundred bucks type of thing. Yeah. You can do that or you can go and buy a new 
Friedman amp for, I don't know how many thousand, you know? <laughs> so obviously flexibility, we're kind of joking about it, but that's really what it is. And they do sound so good today. They do. That it is absolutely a viable alternative. There's always going to be guitar players that are going to harp on about, oh, I need my tube head, man. And yeah. if you can do it. My favorite one, though, is that David Archuleta had a guitar player that I did some stuff with at one point. He comes into the studio wanting to roll in a giant stack. Yeah. <laughs> I just said, leave that thing in your van or your car, or whatever's parked out there, and we're going to plug straight in. And he gave hand and hog. I plugged him in. I said, what do you want to have? And then I built it for him right there. And he's playing through it and his jaw just hits the floor. He's like, I've always felt these things would never give me the feel. Well, what happens if I roll off the volume level like I do on a real amp? I said, go ahead and try it. He does it. Right. Again, jaw hits the floor. He couldn't believe it. He's like reacting the same way as an amp normally would. It's possible now with amp sims. And it has been actually for just over a decade. Yeah. It's not like these things aren't good anymore. <laughs> it's so many good ones out there now. It's insane. Yeah. And I'm guilty of collecting them. I've been a lot better this year because now I, I, I almost embarrassed how many I have. And I it was like, oh. Is it over a hundred? No, 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 no. It's not anything that crazy. Oh, here, I'll, I'll open up my plugin folder as we speak here and we'll tell you what I have. There's upwards of 10 that, that get frequent use. Sure. Now that's too favorites. many. That's a lot. You know, it's more amps yeah. than you'd cart around for cartage. <laughs> Absolutely. With a lot of these, I should say, though, I have created presets for myself that are sort of set it and forget it. If I want a certain type of tone, I go to this amp because it delivers that. Yep. And then if I want this, I go to another one. That's a process that I tend to do when I generally download a trial right, and do that and see if this is something that I like that, that I consider working with. If it is, I'll buy it. And at that point, I will go through and create a few presets of what I think that one does well. Mm -hmm. It's not like I go in and do all the fiddly stuff every time because I just like to, boom, here's my tone. Let's go and do it. I like to fiddle. And I've yeah, got I know a lot you do. of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But, but that, that kind of brings up another point here that I wanted to touch on anyway, and that was – a lot of the amp sims that I tend to use now will have speaker emulation with mic choices and things built in. Mm -hmm. Now, that wasn't always the case. We both used red wires. Well, I still do. You still do. Yes. Yeah, I do it less so, actually. I think it's a fantastic product, and it works really, really well. Mm -hmm. I really, really like the way that Neural DSP do it. I like the way that... Plugin Alliance do it, Brainworks do it, where they have a choice of microphone selection. It's usually two, so you could do the blending thing sure. with distance and everything. So there's a lot of flexibility when it comes to that. But the choice of all the IRs that we have today versus the speaker emulation that is built in, you have a clear favorite then because you like to do your IRs, right? I do for a vast majority of it on occasion with the plug-in alliance amps that i have i will just stick with some of theirs but there are about 50 50 on the plug-in alliance where i will turn off the ir that they have and use the mix ir along with the red wires set that i have and the reason for that is is i can get way more control 
out of it. Sure. And I do that also with UA amp heads, Logic amp heads, Helix amp heads, pretty much every amp sim that I have. It's roughly about 75% of the time now that I'm still using the mix IRs from Redwires. Okay. And the reason for that is, is it just is way more control over the miking and placement than you can get on the built-in ones. Not that the built-in ones these days are bad. It's just, I like the control. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I think, though, that for my workflow, because I've spent a lot of time having done that in the past as well, mm -hmm. and it usually comes down to a couple of IRs that I would tend to use most of the time. To me, it's like one of those set it and forget it things. <laughs> and I think the, the chains that are there in the case of Plugin Alliance, I will have a favorite or two in there that mm -hmm. I go to each time and then just go from there. Much in the way, actually, how I would mic a cab, right? Yeah. If I were doing it. You have your like, means I, I and you stick with it. Yeah. And that's where I get my choices. The flexibility is great. You can yes. lose a lot of time doing it. <laughs> I like to lose but, time, baby. I like yeah. to lose time. With all this recording and stuff going on, there still comes down to one last thing. When we're well, doing it's not this. so much a last thing. It is the thing, and that is the performance of the player. Yeah. And part of all of this in terms of whether you go with an actual amp head and some direct lines or using direct and amp sims has everything to do with the comfort and the neuroticism of the guitar player. And whether or not they can get a great performance out of either route. Yeah, I agree. If it sounds good, it will inspire the player. And sure. we, we all know you don't want to be in a situation where, okay, just try to ignore the crappy sound coming out here. We'll fix it later. That, that's not going <laughs> to inspire a good performance. So well, it depends on the player, but yes, I agree. Yeah, but I would say even the most seasoned pros, like if things sound like, shit coming out of the speakers. It's just not as fun to play. Right? Well, no, you can get through it, sure. The inspiration, we want people to be inspired and to kind of bring their performance to another level. Bring so, the inspiration, baby. Absolutely. So I think ultimately what, what it comes down to is just the inspiration of the tone will help the performer get their best performance out of it. And that that's really all that we want. Amen. What about... Current favorites, what's your favorite amp sim that you're using at this point? I don't have one. No? no. Okay, so let's say that you're using a, you're, you're going to do a pop track and you want some kind of semi-crunchy kind of a thing. What do you pull up? Semi-crunchy for a pop track. Yes. I think I would delve into the Helix with a Fender amp head, and then I would probably marry that with some sort of cabinet from the Mix IRs maybe a Roland JC-120 just to get really out there kind of thing. Okay. And then I might choose some interesting mics for that. I might choose a KM-84, an SM-7, or a U-67 to get some variance in terms of the depth and meat in the sound. Yeah. I, that might be where I would start. All right. Cool. Just off the top about... of my head right now, this moment. Right. No, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I've been leaning heavily on my Soldano lately uh -huh. from yeah. Neural DSP. And another one that has been getting a lot of use is the uh, Friedman Dirty Shirley. Okay. From uh, Plugin Alliance. They can do 
Well, a lot. They, they've just been getting a lot of use for me. If if a little bit on the cleaner edge uh, or the cleaner sound of it would be the Dirty Shirley. Okay. Uh, if I want crystal clean, I actually go with the clean on the Soldano because that is amazing. There you go. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that Soldano. I've been, <laughs> I've been, been saying all along. Yeah, it's a good time to be alive and recording electric guitars. Damn right. And with that, we're going to move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? Ooh, I heard a new album this week. It's an artist called Zeal and Ardor. It's a new album, but it's self-titled, so it's just called Zeal and Ardor. Uh-huh. It is freaking amazing. What do they do? It. How to describe this? Initially, what the idea was almost like a challenge for the band. They do a mesh of gospel and black metal. Oh. Put that in your blender and you get that. It is really, <laughs> really cool stuff. They're a little bit all over the map as far as like you can imagine, mm-hmm. but they have a lot of sort of vocal things going on where it certainly brings to mind like old gospel stuff but with heavy guitars and dark themes and everything. And I heard some stuff before, but this album that just came out, it just floored me. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. So if you like your stuff a little bit on the harder edge, go check it out, Zealand Ardor, self-titled. It, it's absolutely amazing. What about you? What do you got? I'm going the software route for iOS devices this time around, and it is an app called mm-hmm. Sand which is a strange name for an app that is an audio thing. But the idea behind it is, is it is a sequencer that also allows you to host audio plugins in iOS. Nice. Yes. Which means that iOS is suddenly starting to turn into a platform that could be quite useful when you think about it, provided you can connect some sort of interface to get audio in and out of it. Yeah. And but I that's know cool that they if make you do. Them, but yes. But that's cool if you're. Let's say they have an iPad Pro or something, and you're going on location or you're doing something. That's starting to become a possibility now, isn't yes, it? Yes, very much so. So sand S A N D all caps. Very cool. That's my pick. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word guitars, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain or pontificate, upon in a future episode contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode with that i'll say see you next week thanks for listening everybody i'll talk to you later jody Bye.